Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 14 then, the church, to the church in Laodicea, right, or to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. To those who are victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, a few months ago, uh, we were out grocery shopping. We try and do that on a Monday because it's my day off and it's a bit easier to make it to the supermarket on that day. This was not long after our youngest uh, Lawson was born, so he was maybe a, a few weeks old. I think it was one of our first outings, actually, as a family, just getting out of the house. We went to the supermarket. It was raining this Monday. It was a nasty day, and we'd finished the shopping. That, that part went okay. And then as we came out of the supermarket and back to the car, Joshua, our two-year-old, starts to procrastinate. He's just a chronic procrastinator. I don't know where he gets it from, but he just, he just completely drags his feet. And I'm trying to get him into the car, and he's just not really doing much. You know, he's looking around, and it's raining. You know, we're all getting wet. And he's kind of in the car enough to be dry, and so he doesn't care. He's just mucking around, looking at his books, talking to us. And so I'm then trying to up the ante. You know, I'm trying to then bring it a little bit more forcefully, get in the car, we've got to go, we're getting wet, come on, let's make it work. And it's like he has this cutoff switch. You get to a certain point of intensity with him, and then he just melts down. And so the switch was, was tripped, and we just had a drama. Then he won't do anything. Then he's crying, and he's, you know, he's hysterical, and he won't budge. He will not move. So then I pick him up, and I realize I've just got to get him in the car. I've just got to put him in his car seat, because he's clearly not going to do this, and we're getting wet, and the baby's getting wet. But Joshua has this amazing ability to make his body like a steel pipe. You know, it's like, it's, an, it's a gift, like just as stiff as a plank, and you can't possibly bend him. I hope he can make some money from this at some stage, but at that moment it's just a pain, so I, I'm trying to fold him in half to get him in the seat, and he's just like, no, 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 like this. Finally, I kind of collapse him on himself, get the buckles over him. I think by that stage there was another car there waiting for our park, so they're watching, probably about to call SIFs. And, and we're, we're trying to get our boy sorted out, finally get him there. And we said, right, as soon as we get home, you're going on the naughty corner. Sure enough, you know, we get home and it was straight to the naughty corner for him. And we give him two minutes there, um, as per his age. 
And, uh, and, and while that was happening, Anna said to me, do you want to talk to him? Um, because, you know, the implication is sometimes you're a bit soft. Maybe I need to handle this. And I said, don't you worry, I'm going to bring it. This is going to be a full on, this is going to be a talk. And so I had the talk, you know. I was so firm, deep voice, authoritative. And I find it hard to do that well, you know, because the thing that is really tough when, when I'm talking to him and telling him why he's on the naughty corner, telling him why that's completely not okay, is that sometimes he cracks a little smile, <laughs> you know, and it just breaks your heart because I have to shut it down. You know, I'll let, no, this is not, like, I can't let him think this is a joke. But your, your heart is being ripped out at the same time because I love him. And he's, he's, he's trying to read me and see how serious is this. Are you, you know, is this really up there or can I smile and get away with it? And I've just got to try and bring the discipline and, you know, the hard word. Oh, man, that's hard. I thought it was going to be easier, that stuff, than it is. I find it really tough to do that well and, and make it work. It's, it's hard, hey, the whole, the whole discipline thing with kids. And if it's tough with kids, how much harder is it for us as adults being disciplined. I mean, even that idea, even, even the sound of it just sounds crazy. It sounds cringy, doesn't it? That we would, as adults, need to be disciplined. It, it reduces us. It makes us feel like children. It humiliates us. Even the thought, we're independent adults. We're autonomous. We can make our own decisions. We'll live with the consequences of our actions. We don't need somebody else coming and disciplining us. But as you look at these letters, all of them, in fact, for the most part, they are letters of discipline. And one of the greatest priorities Jesus has in giving these messages to these churches is to discipline them. Of course, he's got things to encourage them with, and there's a lot of stuff that was going well, but at the same time, Jesus has got a word of rebuke, and he's got a word of discipline, and he's got a word of correction for these churches because there were things that were happening that weren't good. And this letter to the church at Laodicea, this last one, is the, is the most negative of all these letters. In every other case, there's something to encourage. In every other church, there's at least a few people that seem to be faithful. But here, this is just purely a message of discipline. It's pretty harsh. It's pretty negative, And Jesus saves it to last. One of the major things in Laodicea is the water supply. The city had a problem with its water supply. It didn't have its own source of fresh water. And so it had to pump in water. And what it would do is Laodicea would pump in hot water from a city in the north, Hierapolis, and it would pump in cold water from a city in the south, Colossae. But in both cases, by the time the water got to Laodicea through these long pipelines, it would be tepid. It would be lukewarm. And it would be heavily mineralized because of the, of the, the journey that it's had to go on. So it starts off hot and cold, but then by the time it gets to Laodicea, it's lukewarm. And often people that drank this water would be so nauseated by it, they would literally spit it out of their mouths. It wasn't nice to drink. And isn't it amazing the way Jesus picks up on that social feature of the city and uses it to discipline the church, uses it in his rebuke. He says, you Laodiceans, you're like the water you drink. You're like this lukewarm water. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. And I think the image isn't so much that hot water is, represents good faith and cold water represents bad faith and they're somewhere in the middle. I think in this analogy, both hot and cold are good. Both hot water and cold water, because Jesus says, I wish that you were hot or cold. I mean, hot 
represents that, that soothing, healing water. And the cold water represents the invigorating, refreshing kind of water, kind of faith. But Jesus says you're neither of those. Your faith isn't soothing and healing. Neither is it invigorating and life-giving and refreshing. It's just lukewarm. It's just tepid. It's just nauseating. And what he is saying is that these Laodiceans, they'd let their faith drift into mediocrity. They'd allowed their faith just to become lukewarm. They'd started off well, and there was probably a time when they had great zeal and passion and, and, and vigor for God and for his purposes, but they had lately become just lukewarm. They'd lost their love. They'd lost their passion. They'd, they'd drifted towards accommodating themselves to the empire and to the culture around them, making all sorts of compromises that watered down their faith. They no longer had that single-hearted, that single-minded devotion to Jesus that they once had. Their faith had just become lethargic. It had become apathetic. Now, there's some parts of Revelation that you read and they're hard to figure out how they apply today, aren't they? And then there's parts like this, where it's like looking in a mirror. Because when you read that, I don't know about you, but I see myself. So often we are in exactly the same boat. So often we are in Laodicea and we're hearing these words. It's like a mirror held up to our life. So often, if we're honest with our own lives, our faith too is lukewarm so much of the time. Maybe we want it to be hot. Maybe we want it to be cold. But so often we just live in this place where it seems like your relationship with God is just tepid. Because you think back to that time when you first became a follower of Jesus. Maybe it was a moment for you. Maybe it was a process. You grew into it. But it was often accompanied by great desire to love Jesus. You had this really dynamic personal communion and connection and relationship with him. And a desire to share him with other people. Make a difference for him among your friends and family and so on. A desire to grow in your character to become more like him and, and, and be transformed. We, we had that zeal. We had that passion. But so often, something happens along the way. And it may not be a particular moment in time. It may not be one event. Sometimes it is something happens and things change. But so often, it's just a drift. It's just a drift away from that center. And we find over time that our love for Jesus starts to grow cold. Our love for Jesus starts to get lukewarm. That flame just starts to flicker a wee bit. And that dynamic relationship that you once had with him that was life-giving and it was deep and, and, and you were connected to him and you were living in this, in this communion with him, it just seems like a bit of a memory now. And it just seems like more often it's kind of a formal relationship like you have with your bank. It's there, but it doesn't do much. And it's, you know, you, so often you're just going through the motions you're coming to church and you, you know, you're trying to behave yourself and live a reasonable life. But that, when, you, when you really get to the heart of it, that connection with Jesus, how is that going for you? That personal connection. You can sing the songs. I know you can listen to the message. You can quote some Bible verses and you can give answers to questions. But how is your own love for Jesus? How is that personal connection, that personal relationship that you have with Jesus, how is it doing? I think so often, if we're honest, really honest, it's lukewarm. And because that relationship with Jesus that we have is lukewarm, our growth in our spiritual life is lukewarm as well. When you look back over the last few years of your life, can you see much growth? 
Can you see your character changing incrementally more into the image of Christ? Can you see things that you struggle with and battle with, sin, temptation? Can you see those things starting to shift? Can you see ground being taken? Or do you feel, if you're honest, like it's basically stalled, that it's just plateaued? And it's been a long time since really there was much growth to the point you've just come to believe this is really all there is. You just keep the wheels ticking over, pray some prayers, have your quiet times, but really there's just not that much heart in it anymore. You've lost your first love. Not really growing. And so the best you can do is learn to put on a good pretense and get on with life. This is where the Laodiceans were. I think it's exactly where many of us are today. Amazing, isn't it? 20 centuries have come and gone. And we find ourselves still living in Laodicea, still doing time in the city, and and more often than not, our faith is just how Jesus described it. And when that happens in our life, when our faith becomes lukewarm and lethargic, Jesus will come and he will bring discipline into your life. At some point, he will. He may be doing it now. But at some point and somehow, Jesus loves you too much not to do that. He will come and he will bring some kind of discipline. And you, and you look at the motivation in verse 19. Jesus says, those whom I, what's the word? Love. It's so important. Not those whom I am angry with. Not those whom I am fed up with. Those whom I love. See, when, when Joshua is sitting in the naughty corner, he doesn't really feel like we love him. He feels like we're mean. When I tell him not to smile because this is not funny, he feels probably like I'm the meanest guy out there. What he doesn't see, what he doesn't realize is that all of my discipline is because I love him so much. It's because I, I want to help him grow and develop as a person. I want to help him learn respect. I want to help him mature. If I didn't love him, I wouldn't care. I might care just for my own convenience because I want an easier life, but I wouldn't care about his development. The only reason that we discipline him is because we love him. It's an expression of it. It might not feel like it at the time, but it's purely motivated by love. And when Jesus says, those whom I love, I discipline, he's drawing on a long tradition within the biblical story, going right back to Proverbs chapter 3, around this whole issue of discipline. Proverbs 3 Verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Isn't that lovely? It's a good verse to memorize, that one. Because when you're in it and when God is bringing that harsh word against you and convicting you and you feel it, You've got to remember the only reason this is happening is because he loves you. The only reason he would bother to discipline you is because he just delights in you. And he loves you too much to allow you to squander your life in selfishness. He loves you too much to just keep on letting you paddle around in the shallows of your faith. He just loves you too much. He delights in you too much to let you just meander around in mediocrity. And just go through the motions. God created you for so much more than that. 
Christ died for so much more than that. And God is far more committed than you are to your relationship with Him. And if it's not happening, and if the temperature's getting lukewarm and tepid, God, sooner or later, is going to intervene and bring discipline. And that's not nice to think about, and it makes us feel childish, but that's who we are. We're children of God. He is our Father. He is our parent. And He will find a way. Sometimes it comes, just like in moments like this, through the words of Scripture. And you read this, and maybe this morning you're here, you can see yourself right here. This is like a big mirror in your life, and you realize, man, I'm a Laodicean. I've got a lukewarm faith. I'm just, I'm just nowhere. And you feel that conviction. The most natural human response to that is to get defensive and start arguing against me and your mind. Some of you are doing that now. All kinds of objections. All kinds of rationalizations. All kinds of reasons, all kinds of excuses. If only you knew and you don't know my situation and I've got this, you know, these kids and this wife and this house and this car and I've got the job and everything else and it's just too much. And, you know, we, we can do all that. But when you sit quietly, that voice of conviction is still there. You've just become lukewarm. God will do that sometimes. He'll just bring that word of discipline. It's a harsh word and it's an uncomfortable word, but it's needing to be heard. Sometimes, though, God will bring this word of discipline through other people as well. It may not be the words of Scripture directly. I remember a few years ago I used to have an accountability partner and uh, one day I, we were just having a really informal conversation. We'd almost finished up at Denny's. And I asked him a question. I said, tell me anything that you see in my life that seems unhealthy to you, that I may not see. Crazy question to ask, really, you know. But tell me, tell me what I need to hear. Tell me what I might not see that you see. And he kind of, you know, because he's a nice guy, he didn't really want to say too much, and he was kind of faffing around and, you know, dancing around the issue. and da, 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 da. But eventually he said, not in these words, but more or less, he said, you're not a great listener. And I said, sorry, I didn't hear that. <laughs> but that, man, that was, there was a sting in that one for me. There was a sting in it. And you know my instinctive reaction, and you'd be just the same, is you want to defend yourself. No, I'm not. You know, I, 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 I'm a good listener. You know, you want to give 10 examples of when you did listen and you can remember 10 names and all that stuff, you know. And that's, that's, that's the pull of your heart, isn't it? You want to try and prop yourself up. But I just tried to absorb it. And, and here, I mean, after all, I'd asked for it. Just try to take it and went away and processed it. And sure enough, it, you know, at a deep level, it rang true. I think that's why I wanted to kick and scream because that's what conviction does to you. It makes you want to kick and scream because it's getting in. And it rings true. And I had to wrestle with the fact that, yep, that pretty much summed me up. It's still something I struggle with. Anna will tell you that. <laughs> Not a great listener. By God's grace, I'm working on it, failing more than I'm succeeding. But that, that was a defining moment for me because I'm not sure that would have been picked up in my life. I certainly didn't see it that clearly. And without someone else being prepared to speak it to me, I would have just carried on and that would have been a glaring issue in my life that other people would have noticed and I never would have. Because the reality is there's things in your life this morning that you don't see that others do. We've all got blind spots. That's okay. The question is, what are you going to do about it? 
Now, what would happen if every one of us found somebody, and not a random person on the street, but somebody you trust, somebody full of Christian maturity, somebody who loves you, somebody whose opinion you respect, what if you asked that question? Tell me what I need to hear. Show me what I cannot see. If there is something in my life that you see, I might not see it. And my desire to grow in Christ is greater than my fear of what you might say. So lay it on me. And then when they say it, don't punch them. Don't attack them. Don't abuse them. But just be quiet and just let it sink in. And go away and think on it and pray on it and see if indeed it rings true. And ask God, you know, if this is something that I need to hear, then press it on my heart. Sometimes that's how discipline comes. God's desire is not just to make you a more well-behaved person. His desire is to anchor you deeply in the grace of Jesus and in relationship with him. But as an expression of that, there are often things in our lives that we just don't see. And the way that God will discipline you sometimes is by bringing someone into your life and giving you the courage to ask that dangerous question. What do you see? Tell me what I'm missing. And sometimes God disciplines us through circumstances. I met a guy for lunch in, the, in this church recently, and he and his wife have been through some really, really difficult times over the past three or four years. And the last time I caught up with him was about three or four years ago. And I could just see, sitting across a table from him, how much God has done good stuff in his life through this difficult, difficult time. I could see that even though he's been through real pain, he's allowed that to refine his character. He's allowed himself to hear God's voice in the midst of that and, and allowed that to surface some issues for him that he needed to address. And he was honest with them and he was self-aware enough to see them. Because I can just see God, and I said to him, I, I can just see so blindingly, obviously, how God has used these circumstances, which was really difficult, but he's done it to bring character and form character in your life. Sometimes God will do that. And if you are going through difficulty this morning, if you're in the middle of pain, if your life is a struggle then ask God what he's got to teach you in the midst of it. Now, I'm not saying God causing it. I'm not saying that God is somehow judging you through these circumstances, but he'll, he'll definitely use it. He'll definitely redeem it. So ask him, what are you doing in me? What do you want to do in me during this time? What do you want to say? How do you want to refine me in the middle of this mess? Because it's often in the fire that we really experience that purifying, purging work of God's Spirit. So be prepared to tune into what God might be doing, not just waiting to get out of it and waiting for things to get better. Ask yourself, what might God be doing in the midst of it? Now, we don't know how the church in Laodicea responded to all this. We don't know what they said back to Jesus, if anything at all. But we know how Jesus wanted them to respond. We know what kind of response he asked for from them. He says in verse 17, You say, I am rich. I have acquired great wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Man, it's, it's got to be hard to hear. 
What a rebuke that is. You know, to Laodicea, the city of wealth, the city full of money, high socioeconomic standard of living, and God says, you're poor. You're bankrupt. The city of Laodicea, known for its clothing industries, its textile manufacturing, producing beautiful garments that went throughout the Roman world, and Jesus says, you're naked. You're exposed and ashamed. The city of Laodicea, known for its medical industries, production of this eye salve that went around the world to help people see better, and Jesus says, you're blind. You can't see at all. What an indictment. Isn't it genius, though, the way he uses these features of the social world to bring that discipline, because it would have connected to their experiences. But this is where we've got to start. These difficult words is recognizing where we are. And maybe this is where you are this morning. And maybe we need to ask Jesus to hold this mirror up to our lives and recognize that we are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. Starts by recognizing how far we've drifted. If we just keep deceiving ourselves and thinking everything's okay or being content with the status quo, you're not going to get anywhere. Starts with that recognition of just how far we've fallen and just how far we've drifted from where God wants us to be. But he never leaves us there, does he? Never leaves us in that place. Never, never takes us there, never takes us to the depths just to condemn us. Always to lift us out. Look at the very next phrase. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. In the scriptures, gold in the fire is an image of purifying. It's an image of making pure again. And God says, this is my desire for you, is to make you pure. And the way he's done it is through entering into our humanity in the person of Jesus. Jesus became wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked for you. Jesus became all of these things for you. That's the point. This is our spiritual state, but Jesus took it on himself. He took our sin, took your brokenness, took your failure, took your mediocrity upon himself, and he died. Died to earth it in his own body, bear it in himself, and put it to an end so that you could buy from the Father gold refined in the fire, so that you could be purified, so that you could be free. That's the grace of Jesus, that you can be free. doesn't matter how far you've drifted. doesn't matter how far you've fallen. You can be freed from that. God is waiting with his arms open to take you back. So easy with this stuff to drift into self-pity. So easy to drift into self-misery. So easy to drift into defeatism and despair and depression. That is not the way. It is not the way Jesus wants us to go. There's another road, and that is opening ourselves up to the gracious, loving mercy of the Father who stands ready to forgive, ready to take us back, and ready to give us new hope and new direction. That's why he says, I'm offering you white clothes to wear. This image of purity. This image of, of, of righteousness. The clothes to cover our shame. That's what God offers you. He says, I'm going to clothe you in, the, in these robes of righteousness, these garments of salvation. You don't need to be condemned. You can be forgiven. You can be freed. You can receive mercy and grace to cover over all of your shame and then more. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you salve to put on your eyes 
so that you can see. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus opening our eyes to new things. And I don't think at this point it's just opening our eyes to how bad we are. It's opening our eyes and giving us some hope. Isn't that what we need? We feel condemned. You feel, oh, you know, I'm just a... It's kind of this worm theology, you know, I'm just absolutely useless. Well, God does want to take you to a point of realizing your own depravity, but only to show you the extravagant grace that he's revealed to you in Jesus. And now what he'll do is put the salve on your eyes so that you can see and you can see new hope. Jesus wants to open your eyes so that you can see your relationship with God can be different. Your relationship with God can be deeper than it is now. You believe that? Some of you actually lost the faith in that, and you've just assumed what you have now is all you'll ever have, and this is as good as it gets. Jesus wants to open your eyes to see tomorrow can be different to today. It's not going to be suddenly an overnight fix and you'll be a brand new person, but you can start the journey of renewal and refreshing in the power of God's Spirit right now. God wants to open your eyes to see that you can grow, you can change. You can be transformed through Jesus. You can regain that first love. You can regain that passion. You can regain that zeal. Your faith doesn't have to be lukewarm. Don't buy the lie that says that's all it's ever going to be. Mediocrity is not what Jesus went to the cross for. He went to the cross for your abundant life, a life lived in dynamic relationship with him that transforms your relationship with yourself, with others, and with the world. That's his invitation to you. That's what he's offering you. Please don't go down the road of self-condemnation. That's never where the gospel leads. Always to grace. Always to hope. Always to a different and better future. Because of Jesus. And so Jesus says... I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Often this verse is used in the context of evangelism. You know, re talking to non-Christians, Jesus is standing at the door. It's a bad use of that verse. It's out of context. It's not what it means. This is a verse written to Christians. This is a verse written to the church. It's written to people who have already let Jesus in but now they've become lukewarm and they've pushed him away, pushed him back to the periphery. And Jesus is saying, perhaps he's saying to you, I'm knocking. Maybe he's saying to us as a church, I'm standing outside the gym, I'm knocking. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, not to judge them, not to condemn them, not to lecture them, to, what does it say? Eat with them. This image of sharing a meal, just like you did last night, a sign of relationship, a sign of communion and connection and intimacy. That's Jesus' desire. He says, hey, if you open that door again and allow me back into the center of your life, I'm going to come in and dine with you and reestablish that intimate connection that I have with you. Not just emotions and feeling and hype. He's going to anchor you back in the grace of Christ. Set you back on your feet so that you can keep moving forward. He says, here I am. I'm standing at the door and knocking. Some of you hear it. He's knocking. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for you. He's gone to the cross. He's been raised from the dead. He's given you the power of his spirit. He stands ready to restore you 
to move you forward and to take your faith out of a lukewarm, lethargic space into a new place of depth and community. He's right ready to do it, and he's knocking. It's your move. Let's pray. Jesus, there are many people in this room who, for whatever reason, are living in Laodicea. And their faith has grown lukewarm. Jesus, I pray this morning that you would allow them to hear you knocking. Lord, for every person here who just feels that convicting of your spirit this morning, they just know they're in this lukewarm place. Jesus, would you speak to them a word of new hope? Would you speak to them a word not of condemnation, but a word of encouragement? A word of a new future? Lord, would you enable them to hear you saying that you no longer rebuke them, but you rejoice over them with singing? Lord, for some of us, the, the, the flame is just a flicker. And we don't even know how we got to this space, but Jesus, we are crying out for you this morning to light the fire again in our lives, to take just the ashes and the embers and breathe the life of your spirit back into our life and reignite that flame of love for you and love for others. Jesus, we're ready. The desire is there. Our flesh is still so weak, but our desire is there. And we ask you to pour the waters of refreshing over us this morning and speak to us again of your grace and your mercy. We want to grow and we want to move forward. Lift us out of mediocrity. Lift us out of apathy into new life. Light the fire again in us, Lord, we pray. Amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.